Guys, it's in the 80s. Good morning. Good morning. That's a little bit better. Isn't it amazing how last week was Easter and then we have snow and then we have 80s and then it's 30 and then another 80. It's amazing to me how that works, but we had snow after Easter. So I was shocked when I looked out my window that morning going, am I in Alaska? I'm, I'm not sure where I'm at. But let me ask you a question. If you have a conversation with your 20-something-year-old or a co-worker or a neighbor, how would they answer if you were to pose this question to them? What do you believe about faith, about Jesus, and about the Bible? Is that tough? Is that a little awkward to bring up those, those conversations? I have two 20-somethings and now a 30-something-year-old uh, for my kids, and it's awkward bringing those questions up for my kids in conversations even. I mean, when it comes to faith in Jesus and the Bible, people are all over the map on those things, right? There, there are people who have faith and people that have no faith and people that have a strange kind of faith. There are people who believe in Jesus and people that think he was a complete hoax. There are people who accept what the Bible says without doubting it, and there are people who don't believe in the Bible at all. They think it's a bunch of, of stories and myths and legends, but not much truth. If you were to ask a college student, I mean, today, in this current culture, they may say something about the Bible like this. Well, it's a racist kind of book, isn't it? I mean, it's homophobic. It, it causes wars. We should just stay away from it completely. A lot of people in this culture think that. When it comes to Jesus, most people like him. I mean, I mean, they do, but they want to know a little bit more about him. They know Christmas, and they know Easter, and they know that he turned water into wine. That seems to be the only important thing that he did for some people. Um, but they don't really know a whole lot more about him. And since we don't know a whole lot more about him in our culture, except that he's kind of a, a good teacher, sometimes we just kind of leave him right there and we just move on and we don't think about him a whole lot more. Well, here's where the issue comes in. People like Jesus, but they don't like the Bible. Think about that. Let that sink in for a minute. People like Jesus, but they don't like the Bible. And the Bible is where we get our information about Jesus from, right? Don't, don't miss this. Even though Jesus loved and taught the Bible, for Jesus, that's the Old Testament, all right? Understand, that's Jesus' Bible. Many people still don't believe in the Bible. A lot of people say Jesus was a great teacher, and I'll follow Jesus' teachings, but I will not follow the Bible. Jesus' teachings are based on the Bible. Do you realize that? His teachings are based on the Bible, and the rest of the Bible is based on Jesus. That's the New Testament. We're starting a new series today called Jesus Quotes, and we're going to be digging into just a few of the many scriptures where Jesus quotes an Old Testament scripture as the basis and foundation for his teaching. Now, we have to start with this foundation. This is where we are. Since Jesus believes the Bible, we should believe the Bible. That's my foundation for this entire message and this entire series. 
Since Jesus believes the Bible, we should believe the Bible. Whatever Jesus is teaching, I'm following. Wherever Jesus leads, I'm following. Whatever Jesus says to do, I'm doing it. All right? Jesus is our prime example. No matter anything else that you read, you hear, whatever, whatever Jesus says, that's where I'm going with it. Let's take a look at the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' probably most famous teaching in the entire Bible. And, uh, and I love what it says, Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Now, you do understand that that is Jesus quoting a direct Old Testament passage, right? He's quoting Exodus 23 that says, you shall not murder. That's Jesus' foundation for that teaching, quoting an Old Testament passage. Let's keep going. Verses 27 and 28. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's quoting Exodus 20:14 that says, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, that's Jesus' basis for that teaching. Here's another part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 38. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer him the other cheek also. If you're sued in court, your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask, and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. That's quoting Deuteronomy 19, 21 from the Old Testament that says, Show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow? You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who are persecuting you. Leviticus 19.18, it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord your God. He's taking Scripture all right? He's taking the Bible and he's explaining it. But his basis, his truth, his foundation is all, it's all scripture. That's where he's getting his teaching from. Now, now Matthew 5, 17 says this, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I have come to accomplish their purpose. I've come to fulfill what they said. That, that's my purpose here. That's my reason for being here, is to explain this whole thing to you. And he had a way of looking at the Bible and seeing it and believing it and then focusing on the heart of what it said in the Old Testament and the relationship of it. And then he put everything into perspective. But it was all based on the Old Testament part of the Bible. I love how Jesus uses Scripture. I love it. He uses it whenever, for example, he's getting ready to defend himself. And, and uh, it's a battle. He's being accused 
of something. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm being accused of something, how many of you quote scripture when somebody is accusing you or mad at you? If you do, I want to talk with you because that's pretty impressive, right? I mean, whenever somebody accuses me of something, man, we get our backs against the wall. We get our, you know, our, our, our game face on, our angry face on, and we say things we don't really want to say and say things that we don't really mean because we're just in that defensive kind of mindset. Jesus is being accused, and he uses the Scripture to defend himself. Matthew twenty-two thirty-five. One of them, an expert in the religious law, in other words, this guy knew the the scriptures, the Old Testament, memorized backwards and forwards, he knew them. And he tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? It's a trick question, by the way. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commands. He doesn't try to debate this guy that's accusing him. He simply quotes Scripture, and he leaves it at that. That's impressive. He uses Scripture when he's battling Satan. I love this. He's in the wilderness, and he's fasting 40 days, 40 nights. He's tired. He's worn out. He's starving. And Satan shows up, and he says, if you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. That's not a big deal, right? Then you can eat them and and be okay. And Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written. Again, Satan knows Scripture as well. It's written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him. Don't miss this. Jesus is now battling the misuse of Scripture from Satan with more Scripture. It's also written, Jesus said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And here's Jesus' reply. Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's pretty impressive. Because this guy is cornering Jesus. He's putting him in, you know, and and, and Satan is just using those words to, to kind of destroy where Jesus is. And so Satan's battling Jesus. Jesus is just responding with Scripture. Just like the guy in the, the scripture right before that, trying to put him into a corner. Do you see how Jesus feels in the very first part of this scripture that God has actually spoken the words of the Old Testament into existence? But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is saying everything that's written comes directly from God. They're God's words written through human hands. God's words, Holy Spirit-empowered words to be put down for us to read. Every word comes from the mouth of God. When Jesus was on the cross, he quoted from Psalm 31, verse 5, which says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. 
And here's the recollection of that from Luke 23. On the cross, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Direct quote from the Old Testament. He was always, always relying on God's word to guide him. And it didn't matter what was happening to him. And it didn't matter what was happening around him. He was focused on the word of God. Let me ask you a question. Can you do that? When was the last time you had scripture come up into your mind when you were in a situation that was going to be tough? Does that ever happen for you? Or do we simply rely on ourselves to answer and respond and typically blow it whenever we're in a difficult situation? Listen, because Jesus believed in the Bible, we need to believe in the Bible. It's really that simple. Jesus believed it, I believe it. Now, is there anything that's, that's tough for you to believe in the Bible? I mean, you read it and you go, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that just kind of throws me off. Here's your chance. What is it? Anything that's tough? God's always been there. Really important and really difficult, right? Like, how do we wrap our minds around the fact that in the beginning, God, He was there before the beginning of this creation? That's tough. Someone else, what stumps you in the Bible? What challenges you whenever you read it in the Scripture? Pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. That's where the Scripture needs to come up in your mind. Pray for those that persecute you. Anybody have anybody persecuting them right now? Yeah. Yes. You know, believe it or not, this position takes a lot of persecution. There's a lot of people that just want to tear, and it doesn't matter what church it is. The lead pastor role takes a lot of arrows, and there are a lot of people that would love to see me fall, fail, mess up, destroy this church and myself, and a lot of people are very vocal about that. It's just the way it is. I don't like that, and I don't respond well to that, but I have to come back to the Scripture and do what Miss Evelyn just said. you got to pray for those people that are persecuting you. How do you pray for your enemies? It's a challenge. How about this? Is it true that a guy got swallowed by a big fish and spent three days inside and survived? Anybody challenged by that? I've had conversations with people that are going, really? Come on. Not going to happen. I mean, it's not real. Is it true that a guy parts the Red Sea with a stick? I mean, really? You believe that? I mean, is it true that a guy's donkey talked to him? Anybody know the story of Balaam? Balaam's riding down the road and, and doing what God didn't want him to do, and the donkey stops, and Balaam's what, just beating on this donkey, going, dumb donkey, get back on the road. I'm going that direction. And finally the donkey turns and looks at him and says, I'm trying to save your life here. You don't appreciate me. Quit hitting me, would you? Can you imagine that happening? But it says that in the Bible. All that is taken directly from Scripture. The Scripture that Jesus believed, so we need to believe it. It's the bottom line. Bill Mayer 
maybe you know who he is, an atheist commentator, um, interesting guy, talk show host. He says this. He says, I don't respect religion. I don't respect superstitions, uh, superstitious thinking, which is what religion is. I don't respect childish thinking, which is what religion is. We have talked about this before. Today's most controversial issues wouldn't even be an issue except for what it says in the Bible. I'd love to come back and focus on that at some point. Because the fact is that culture is not always right. And just because culture says something is right does not mean that it's right in the eyes of God. There's the controversy. The Bible, he goes on, that book that has people who live to be 900 years old that says the world is 6,000 years old and that there are people who live in a whale. That infallible work of genius that says that slavery is okay and you should stone a guy to death if he works on a Sunday. I'm sorry, I don't respect people who believe in religion. Now when you hear that, you have to wonder. And if you haven't wondered about those things, you need to. Is that really true? I mean, he makes some kind of interesting points, right? What, 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 what happens if that does turn out to be true? You won't know, will you? But are you going to live in a better way than what our culture lives? Are you going to live according to what somebody like Bill Mayer says? Here's, here's an interesting thing. Um, I wish that Mayer had done a little bit of research before he said that. And he says that over and over and over again, so it's not a one-time quote for him. I wish people that would criticize the Bible would read it so they know exactly what they're criticizing. Because what he's saying here is just not quite accurate. And this kind of stuff makes it to TV and it makes it to college campuses, and people just believe it because a celebrity said it. Whether it's true or not, that's what people tend to believe. For example, the Bible never claims that the world is 6,000 years old. It just doesn't. It doesn't say that. It never dates itself. A lot of Christians believe that, that okay, it's an actual timeline and years and 6,000 seems to be about right. And there are some Christians that don't believe that. And you can make a case for it either way as far as the Scripture goes. But the Bible doesn't say it's 6,000 years old. I think God can do whatever he chooses to do. And so whether it's a day or 6,000 years or 6 million years doesn't matter to me because God created it. The Bible never said that slavery is okay. It never says that. Some Christians misinterpret the Bible to make it sound like slavery is okay. Here's what the Bible does say. If you're in that situation, then here's how you should respond. But it doesn't say that it's okay. I mean, Hitler used the Bible to coerce people to do bad things, and he twisted what it says. It's a big book, and anybody can twist something to make it say anything that they wanted to say if they choose to misuse it. The Bible never said that people were living in a whale. There are no whales in the Mediterranean. It's a big fish. If you're going to criticize something, at least criticize it correctly, right? The Bible says that God created a big fish to swallow Jonah. Now, it sounds a whole lot like someone just making things up. It really does. I, I can't disagree with that. But that's why it takes faith, and that's why we call it supernatural. 
Because if you could explain it all, you wouldn't have to have any faith. I, I know that the Bible has been used, again, by bad people to do bad things, but that's not God's fault. That's the people's fault. God gave us the Bible, which is a love letter from Him to us, that we would know how much He cares about us. I mean, when you read through the Old Testament, and some of it's really tough, you read through there, all those things are there so that we can know that God loves us. You're going, really? Leviticus? Yeah. When you read through all those laws, guess what it means? means God was providing health and safety for the people because He loved us. We need to understand that the Scripture that Jesus was quoting from, again, was the Old Testament, but it validates it because Jesus was quoting it. Jesus believed it. I believe it. We need to believe it. What about the New Testament? I mean, He's only quoting the Old Testament in His teaching, Well, he's quoting the Old Testament, he's living the New Testament, which means his teachings now are part of what we're believing in as the New Testament. It's what he was living, it was taking place while he was here on this earth. John 20, 31 says this, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The New Testament is all about Jesus. Again, I know some of the parts of the Bible are tough, and some of you grew up memorizing some some things that you still don't understand, and some of you grew up being bored by the the Scripture, and and some of it is just just difficult. I mean, I'm reading through the Bible in a year, and when we were in the numbers part of the Bible, it's like, oh, please just get through this. You know, and then you get to Second Kings and you're going, yeah, God, you know, let all this great stuff. It's pretty brutal, but I love that part of the Bible. And, uh, and, and it's tough, but some of it is so good. And there's value in the parts where you're bored with it. And there's value in the parts that you may not understand because we're all learning and growing and figuring it out. And that's what God wants. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. Let's take a look at some of the facts about the Bible. This is Old Testament and New Testament. You know how many books are in the Bible? 66. Very good. Yeah. How many Old Testament books? Oh, you is it up there? Okay. Nine o'clock service, they threw it up when I asked the question. Everybody's going, it's 39. We can 37. 39? And then New Testament books are 27. All right. Can you name any obscure books in the Bible? How how about Habakkuk? There you go. How about Micah? How about Lamentations? Did you know those were in there, by the way? You ought to dig those out. They're they're interesting. It has 40 different authors. They were from all kinds of different backgrounds. Some were kings. Some were servants. Some were fishermen. Some were poets, statesmen, scholars, doctors, military generals, and even an IRS agent. They They were there. 
They wrote from different places like dungeons and deserts and palaces and islands and battlefields and hillsides and prison cells. The Bible is actually written on three different continents, three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, but it has this amazing unity to all of it. Hundreds of controversial subjects in the Bible, hundreds of controversial conversations that you could have because of different opinions that you could have, but it's really amazing how all that room for controversy really just breeds unity through it because there's not much controversy there. Let me ask you this. You take 10 different people raised in the same town, same neighborhood, went to the same college, the same background, and you put them in a room and you say, here's a controversial topic. What do you think? You know how many different opinions you're going to get? Ten. And some of them are going to be violent, and some of them are going to be angry, and some of them are going to be upset, because you can't put people in a room and talk about a controversial topic without there being controversy. That's how it works for us. The Bible does that with all those different authors, different places, different cultures, different locations over 1,500 years, and it keeps this cohesive unity in the entire book. That's pretty impressive, guys. It really is. It's been translated into 1,700 languages and continues to be translated into more. It's the single most smuggled book in the entire world where people actually risk their lives for even one page out of a Bible, and they've been killed for that. Jesus knew what he was talking about when, when he said, Heaven and earth can pass away, but my words will never pass away. And you look at that and you say, how can we even... Talk about a book that was written thousands of years ago. I mean, nothing is still relevant after thousands of years. I mean, in our culture, nothing is relevant after about a year, right? We were talking about this the other day, the, the, uh, the differences and advancements and even computers. We were heading to help someone, and, and Joel and Curtis and myself, and, and we're talking, and I'm going, my first computer was a 286 processor. Going, what does that mean? It means it was really slow. But when I went to buy it, I'm thinking, this will be great. And I had to choose, do I do a monochrome monitor or do I do a color monitor? You know what, monochrome, either green or orange. All right, that was your screen. All right, and all my buddies, oh, you'll never need a color monitor. Really? I mean, you think of the advancements. I mean, I don't know. Everywhere, your watch, your phone, your whatever, is so much more advanced than with that first big computer system that that I bought. I I mean, you look at the advancements and you look at how fast things change. We, We went from black and white TV, and my dad built a color TV console. Now, we still only got three channels with rabbit ears and tinfoil on the end of the rabbit ears. And if you've never experienced that, you're missing it. <laughs> Anybody remember outhouses? I mean, like you, you actually had to use an outhouse? My grandparents had an outhouse. And you're looking at it going, outhouse? Really? Indoor plumbing was like a futuristic kind of thing. 
you, you look at, I don't know, watching shows on a TV with three in black and white, going to your watch that you can watch shows on now, or an iPad, or you can watch shows on an airplane, which was not really thought of as a great transportation method at one point in time either. But just because something is older, could be technology, society views on social issues, people, just because something is older doesn't mean it has any less truthfulness or impact. And we've lost that in our culture. So when it comes to the Bible... We have to understand that just because it's older doesn't mean that God's wisdom and God's truth is any less true. Here's the cool thing about truth. Truth is truth. And it doesn't matter whether it was 5,000 years ago, 100 years ago, or 100 years in the future. Truth is still truth. And it's no less important. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. That word inspired by God literally means God breathed. He used different authors to write it down, but God breathed those words into existence translated from the Holy Spirit to the people writing. I believe that. If you're going to believe the Bible, it's going to take some faith. Because you can't 100% prove everything. Now, there's a lot of proof in the New Testament part of the Bible. I mean, after Jesus died, Peter spoke to a crowd in the same city where Jesus was crucified. And a lot of those people had actually witnessed Jesus being crucified. And he stood up and he said this in Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that. In other words, nobody stood up and said, you're full of it. Said, he didn't raise from the dead. We're here. We've been here. We saw the whole thing. That didn't happen. Instead, they stood up and said, something is different in me because of that. We saw Jesus turn water into wine. We saw Jesus drive demons out of people. We saw Jesus take crooked legs and heal them. We saw Jesus put mud on somebody's eyes and they went from being blind to being able to see. We saw Jesus feed thousands with a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. And no one stood up and said none of that stuff happened. They were cut to the heart. They asked for forgiveness, and they repented, and they were baptized, and thousands of people followed. So much that that's how the early church spread. That's how we got here. There are over 5,000 copies of the New Testament, the manuscripts written in Greek, and and 10,000 written in Latin, and over 8,000 written in other languages like Ethiopian and Slavic and Armenian. So you've got around 24,000 New Testament manuscripts in all. And you have even more of the Old Testament than that. And the amazing thing is, they all say the same thing. 99.9% is identical. I mean, you would think it'd be like, I, I don't know, the grandfather passes to another grandfather, passes to another grandfather, to another, and it's that telephone tag kind of game where everything changes, but it just hasn't. So you get to this question, 
How can I use it in my life? How can I use a book that's that old in my life? You use it to change your point of view. You use it to change the way you see the world. You use it to change the way you see yourself. Psalm 119 says this, verse 93, I'll never forget the advice you gave me. You saved my life with those wise words. Verse 103, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. One of the very first verses I had to memorize when I was in seminary was Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword dividing to, to the very soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Friends, I'm still amazed at how the Bible hits me right between the eyes because it's still relevant in every scenario that I'm going through. And it's helped me through some desperate times in my life that I'm not sure where I would have come out of without it. The Bible is how God worked through history to restore a broken relationship with people like us. That's the Cliff's Notes version right there. You want to know what the Bible is? It's how God worked through history to restore a broken relationship with people like us. Friends, if you haven't read it, you need to. You just need to. You do. It tells you how to be a better father, a better husband, a better wife, a better mother, how to handle things better, how to heal bruised relationships. It's your choice. Always has been. God will never decide that for you. Since here it is. You can choose to read it. You can choose to ignore it. But for me, because Jesus believed it, because Jesus read it, because Jesus used it, I'm going to believe it as well. Can I pray with you all right now? Father God, I pray over everyone in this room and everybody watching online. God, may you just open their hearts and their minds to to this book that has changed millions of people. God, your words directly to us Your words to Jesus that he taught to us and explained to us. And God, thank you for giving us that example of Jesus because if he believed it, I believe it. And I want it to be part of my life. I pray for all the people here today in Jesus' name. Amen.